Hello and welcome to the South American Football Show on the World Football Index. On this episode, we'll be reviewing the first phase matches of the 2018 Copa Libertadores and previewing the second phase games coming up. I'm your host, Adam Brandon, based in Chile, and joining me as ever is Simon Edwards in Colombia and Austin Miller in Chicago, USA. Austin, I'll come to you first this time. How are you doing? I'm doing quite well. Happy to have my favorite club competition in the world back. Uh, we already had a tremendous Libertadores moment in, in just the first night of Libertadores matches that we've had. Uh, so very, very happy to be here and, and doing quite well. How about yourself, Adam? How are you? Yeah, I, I'm good. Um, I'm good. Thanks, Austin. Sort of uh, basking in the glory, really, of having over one million views to a video uploaded on Twitter. <laughs> Following that epic celebration on Monday night, from, usually, um, usually it's Simon. Who's, usually it's <laughs> Simon who has the the Twitter success. Simon, are you a little jealous over there? No, I'm good. You know, while Adam's copying video off the TV, I'm breaking news stories about Colombian players going to the Premier League. So, you know, we each have our strengths. Cutting. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, let, and let's get this pod underway and let's talk about that incredible match. Really, that we. Right, we've just finished watching, actually, um, between Oriental Petrolero, um, their uh, club from Santa Cruz in Bolivia, against Universitario, uh, one of the biggest clubs uh, from Peru, based in Lima. Uh, this was a fantastic tie over over two legs in, in terms of drama and entertainment. And uh, it was the tie I was looking forward to most out out the three. I, I thought this could produce something interesting, and it certainly did that. In in the first game, we saw the Bolivians um, take a comfortable two 0 lead. Um, yeah, it was it was it, it was a dominant performance after Universitario kind of started that that first leg well, but they faded badly and. Oddly, when the when the match was ten against eleven um, in favour of Universitaria, but they seemed to fall apart. And Oriente Petrolero gained control of the match, and then our friend Maximiliano Freitas El Tanque, he's also known as, came off the bench and with his very first touch buried it for for two nil. Um, and that was with what about 15, 20 minutes remaining of that game. And we saw his epic celebration where he went running behind the car, jumped into one of the Toyota cars uh, parked behind the goal, got in it with some teammates and. Um, and yeah, there was uh, some hilarity um, off of that. And uh, but yeah, the, the match tonight. Well, I, th- I thought I thought the Bolivians would be a lot more comfortable than they actually were. Um, like I said, they they took that two 0 lead to Lima, and they found themselves three 0 down. Austin with nine against eleven. It seemed like odds were completely against them. And somehow that managed to get through. Yeah, I think the somehow they managed to get through is with a big assist from the Universitario goalkeeper who came off his line against only nine men to try and claim a ball at the very edge of the penalty box. That's Fernandez, the Universitario goalkeeper. Came off his line, came charging, and Paredes uh, for Oriente Petrolero kind of rose above and beat him to the ball with his head. And then the goal was empty, and it just kind of rolled in. And, and Petrolero grabbed that vital away goal for them. So this tie finished 3-3 on aggregate. Petrolero, obviously, with that away goal going through. 
And I was spot on with you, Adam. I thought Oriente Petrolero were going to go in and win this match in Lima based on what they showed me from that first leg. Uh, they did well to get it to 2-0. Uh, I thought that was a very good result for them. Obviously, uh, El Tank, uh, the tank as he's known, uh, just really fun. Everything that Libertadores is kind of known for. Petroleto might be gone by the end of next week, but we'll have that moment for as long as this tournament lasts, and, and that's pretty fun. Uh, but yeah, tonight it was they found themselves 3-0 down despite not being outclassed that much by this Universitario side. And then it kind of looked like they unraveled. They picked up one red card and then another. They were down to nine men and needed a goal, and they found it. Uh, for Universitario, it's weird because they scored three goals, but it didn't feel like they played all that well. Uh, Aldo Corso, the Peruvian international, was by far their best player, uh, I think, over the two legs, and especially tonight. He scored the first two goals and played a big role in the third one, assisting Chavez on the goal that could have sent Universitario through. But outside of Corso, there, there just was not very much class from this Universitario side. Uh, they didn't impress last year in the Libertadores either. And um, they really struggled this year. And I, don't, and I think it's, it's fair that they're out of this competition. Um, credit to Petroleto for, for sticking with it and taking advantage of a miscue and getting through. Adam, I know you weren't particularly impressed with Universitario tonight either, even with the three goals. No, well, the fact that they still managed to blow it, even though they had a two-man advantage, kind of sums up, really, um, their quality. Uh, because certainly over the two legs, I thought Oriente Petrolero were a lot, were a lot better side than Universitario. And, and I felt that it was a just victory. It was kind of a, a mad spell, really, where Petrolero suddenly found themselves behind in this tie. Um, Simon... What did you make of it? Yeah, you know, the the Peruvian defence looked very shaky for me. Um, I think they always looked like there would be another goal potentially there for the visitors. Um, I was impressed by Danke, you know. He stood out for his celebration coming off the bench. He started tonight's game, and I think he had some really nice movement, offered quite a lot as well going forward. Not particularly in defence, he isn't the most mobile, but he was always looking for that little slip-through ball around the corner, making those good runs. Um, so yeah, you know, I'm, I'm happy to see Oriente get through. Universitario will be very, very disappointed. There was a nice atmosphere in the, the stadium, especially after the first goal when they were back in the tie after not being particularly convincing in the first leg. Um, you know, despite having less players, Universitario, uh, sorry, Oriente Petrolero had more shots on goal. They they remained a threat throughout the game, and yeah, there's a few goalkeeping errors and a, a few dodgy. Uh, dodgy goalkeeping performances which kind of open the game up so you know overall I'm happy to see Petrolero go through again I don't think either of the team was particularly good wouldn't most of the would be very very disappointed I'm sure they would have expected to get through this tie um, especially with the game stuff as it was in the last 20 minutes but yeah overall happy to see Petrolero go through but I'm not too confident of their chances of moving forward really and um, what did you make of the celebration? Uh, I was just reading some of the comments um, from from the from the tweet, you know, the one that you slagged off at the beginning of this part. <laughs> and uh, many people were saying that um, that they can expect that. Well, they're hoping to see this celebration perhaps on the, on the next FIFA. Um, what, what would you make of that? 
Yeah, I mean, I, in terms of FIFA, you'd have to have a car in the stadium, which you might may not be accessible for some of the lower league stadiums. Um, yeah, there's some cynicism as well. Maybe maybe he was getting sponsored to jump in that car. Maybe, is it Toyota? I think it was. Maybe they, they paid him, but it looked quite like a bit instinctive. He was running around, like, oh, there's a car, let's jump in that. Uh, yeah, it was good fun. Definitely should have turned the, started the engine, though, and did a little, uh, you know, yeah, once, you, once you've got the yellow card, you might as well do a, a lap of the pitch, you know, why not? <laughs> A lot of people, a lot of people mentioned that as well. It was a shame that the keys weren't in the car. And Simon, I, I know that there's uh, there's something else that you're going to be looking forward to quite a lot um, in in the next phase of this competition, and that's your favourite player from last year's Libertadores coming up against you know our favourite player already this year. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, a, a Bolivian derby. Already in the Copa Libertadores with uh, Oriente Petro now going on to face Jorge Wilstow um, with King Eddie's Centeno in defence, uh, Bolivian international, um, a little bit slightly rotund, which you know I can I can sympathise with. I'm not a professional footballer, but you know whatever works, and he's he's had a good career, and he had a good tournament last year. Um, obviously, there's that one game that stands out against Real Plate away, where it all fell apart. But that aside, Wilstermann, you know they were they were plucky. Uh, you know, it's going to be interesting to see. Uh, Petrolero has some attacking football. Wilstermann were very organised last year, so it should be an interesting time. Uh, I think Wilstermann maybe should edge it. Um, obviously, these teams will have faced each other plenty of times. I think Wilstermann looked a little bit more organised if they're as, as well, do as well as they did last year. Interesting game. Um, I can see, yeah, Petrolero pushing, pushing for those goals and Wilstermann. With with the with the king with the man the myth the legend the centre back Centeno holding everything together maybe able to resist and potentially come out on top so Petrolero at home in the first leg uh, and that's coming up in the next round next week Austin so what, what are your thoughts who's gonna who's gonna come out on top the tank or the king I'm excited for this one it's it's kind of that really deep cut Libertadores match you know uh, for the real followers of the Libertadores I guess you could say. Um, I think I would give it to Wosterman, but I'm not going to pretend that I'm some sort of Bolivian football expert and could tell you everything that's happened to that team since the end of last year. Uh, but I would give them that bit of the edge. I wasn't terribly convinced with Petrolero. Um, conceding three goals to that Universitario team was, was pretty poor by their defense. Uh, so Wilsterman for me, but I don't know that I think either of these teams can get out of this the segment that they're in. We'll get to it in a bit. Uh, I Jeez, maybe they can now looking at it with Vasco da Gama and, and Universidad de, de Concepcion, the other two teams here. This is kind of a wide open portion of the draw, so I, I guess anything could happen, but Wilsterman to edge the tie for me, but maybe just barely. Yeah, I think I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with the lads. Uh, Orient Oriente Petrolero. Um uh, Tanque to grab a brace, perhaps, to send uh, to send the Santa Cruz side. Through. The fact that I think one of the interesting points of this, you know, that they're going to be used to going to the altitude of uh, Cochabamba where where Wilston play. So, you know, because they do it so regularly in the league. So, And that was such a big advantage last year, wasn't it, for, for Wilston and having that. So, um, yeah, I, I, I think... Um, I, I think that the uh, Petrolero are going are gonna to sneak through in this one. Um, okay, let's move on to the to the next tie. Um, and the first the first match um, we saw tonight was Montevideo Wanderers against Olympia. Um, 
Olympia missed a host of chances in the first leg and in the second leg uh, before finally scoring. Um, I think it was around the hour mark, no, Austin, in the end. Uh, but defending was less impressive tonight from Wanderers than it was the other night. But it just seemed like there was a force field behind their two centre-backs, no, we were discussing earlier. So it was quite a shock, really, when Camacho finally poked home and and put Olympia ahead. And they made sure late on, didn't they? They did, they did. And they were definitely the better side throughout these two legs. There's no question about that in my mind. Um, Wanderers were poor in this competition last year and they didn't do anything really to change my perspective of them this year. Uh, not terribly displeased to see them go. <laughs> uh, nil-nil in the first leg was really kind to Montevideo Wanderers. They had a couple of chances at points, uh, but it was largely Olympia who controlled the match, as you said, Adam. They didn't find a goal, but you kind of went into the second leg feeling, okay, they're going to get a goal and they might get multiple goals. But it didn't look like it was going to go that way. They came right storming out of the gates in the first 10-15 minutes. They had five or six chances that they just couldn't find the back of the net on. And, and it kind of started, as you said, to get this feeling of maybe they won't put their way through. And, and you and I were, were talking about how wouldn't it just be the weirdest thing if Wanderers were somehow able to play two nil-nils and then go through on penalties. And, and it looked like that was a legitimate possibility for points during this tie. And then... Yeah, 56th minute, Camacho just kind of poked home, and, and that was that. And that was the end. Jimenez tapped home for the, the sealer late in the 88th minute. Uh, Olympia certainly deserved to go through here. It, it was a, maybe a little more difficult than it should have been, uh, but they are the, not only the side with more tradition than Wanderers, but the side with more talent. Uh, Roque Santa Cruz, the, the Paraguayan international, played a role for them. Uh, starting in this game, coming off the bench in the last game. Uh, Camacho was particularly impressive at various points. Uh, deserved result for Olympia. Um, and it'll be interesting to see what they can do now in the, the next phase because it's going to kind of get turned on its head for this Olympia side. They were the attacking side. They were the side that was creating the chances, that was asking the questions here in this first round. And I think it's going to be the exact opposite for them in the second round. They'll face uh, Junior of Colombia, a team that has a ton of attacking talent. Uh, I think, Simon, that this Olympia side will kind of revert back to that typical stereotype of the Paraguayan side of sitting back and trying to defend, especially against the more talent, the really talented junior side. Yeah, I, th I think I think you would expect so. Um, I, I think this junior team is really, really interesting. Um, we'll see. Um, they've had some good players in the past, but they haven't necessarily brought it together in the last few years. But they are, in terms of Colombia, I think they probably have the most talented squad. Um, of Teofilo Gutierrez up front, Jimmy Chado in just behind. They've signed Jonathan Alves recently, uh, the Uruguayan. He did very well last year uh, for Barcelona. Um, they've got a real lot of quality in the team. Uh, James Sanchez in midfield, Sebastian Hernandez, Yalan Barrera, very interesting attacking, you know, young uh, attacking midfielder. The defense is also pretty solid. Good goalkeeper in Sebastian Vieira. So, yeah, I think Junior, as long as they can get everything together and stay organized and try to incorporate all these excellent attacking players, I think they should be a real enjoyable team to watch this in this tournament. Uh, I think Olympia were, 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 quite, were quite good. Um, they could have scored 
plenty of goals. I was very impressed by how tough the referee was um, in a packed stadium of fans just going mad at the number of chances their team had and the number of uh, potential fouls, almost penalties, uh, you know, a slight push on a on an Olympia player and he goes down and the referee tells him to get up. I was very impressed how strong the referee was in a very difficult atmosphere. Uh, often you'll see South American referees, you know, take the easy, easy option in a packed stadium full of furious fans. They'll just go, go on and you, you can have one. I've let you off, you know, I've let the, the away team off four or five. You can have this one. So I don't think he made incorrect decisions. I just think he made very brave decisions, which I wouldn't necessarily expect uh, in such a high pressured atmosphere. Simon, there's a lot of pressure on Junior, isn't there? I, I think it's fair to say that they are the most talented team here in this playoff phase when you look at all of the sides and the path is fairly kind to them, a pair of Paraguayan teams in Carabobo. Is there a lot of pressure on this junior side to make the group stage in Colombia? Yeah, absolutely. Um, going back uh, a year or so, the, the the directors, the presidents were very, very unpopular. Um, there was a lot of frustrations, a lot of division, and they've really put their money into the team to to get everyone back on side and to, to make a statement um, they've signed some international quality players. Most recently, Alberto Rodriguez, uh, a Peruvian international who's the starting defender for Peru at the moment. So they've really backed the team and there's a lot of pressure yeah, for this team to deliver. Um, having the playoff as well is, an, is additional pressure. You get to the group stage, maybe you have a bad game or maybe you don't turn up for one game. In this knockout uh, playoffs that they have to get through, you know that could that could mean elimination from the tournament, and you know all this optimism, all this positive feeling in the club of progress of the directors backing them. You know, it puts the whole project at risk if they don't make it to the group stage and have those six high-profile Copa Libertadores game potential to get through. Um, I think it really sets back the project and kind of undermines all of the positive steps they've made. But, I expect them to get through. They should get through. They've got the squad that you know you would expect them to get through. But this is the Copa Libertadores. We've seen Palmeiras. We've seen River Plate. We've seen massive teams falling out to to Bolivian sides, to Paraguayan sides. To, you know, so nothing's guaranteed. It's not going to be easy. Do think with the guile of Cada, the experience of Gutierrez, Alves coming in, you know, there's a lot of attacking talent there. I think they'll get the goals necessary against. You know, will be a tenacious, tough uh, Paraguayan side. Yeah, I think. Well, from my point of view, I'd be surprised if Junior don't make it through. Looking at the quality they have on paper, but yeah, Olympia. Yeah, as we saw tonight, you know they can sell out the the national stadium there in Paraguay quite impressively. Um, so that's not going to be an easy easy place to go for the Colombians. Um, and and vice versa as well for the Paraguayans up there to Barranquilla. So yeah, I, th- I think it's I think it's possibly the tie of the round to be honest. Um, okay, let, let's move on to the final match up here in the first phase of the 2018 Copa Libertadores, and that was between the Ecuadorian side Macara, um, and they played uh, Tashara of uh, Venezuela. And um, yeah, and it was the Venezuelans who have sneaked through on on the away goals rule. Um, yeah, I, I was I was working, so I didn't actually see um, the first leg live. I, I I have watched some of the highlights back. I saw you guys sort of tweeting about the match, and 
you know, and I think you both said that Makara could well live to regret their misses from the first leg, and and so it turned out. No, um, Elvis Elvis Patter, that's a great name, Elvis Patter. Goal gave uh, Makara the lead, and at that stage, you're thinking the the Venezuelans might be all shook up, but they hung on in there. But a late equaliser saw them get the foundation to sort of secure their passage to the second round via the away goals rule tonight. And they sort of mastered a nil-nil draw already now. Yeah, they did. And I think Makara deserve a lot of credit for the atmosphere that they had in that first leg. It was the first taste of a truly Bertorores atmosphere we had this year. Packed stadium to the rafters. You know, everybody's there all in their, their sky blue kits. Fantastic looking kits on both sides. A shame to see those go out so early in the competition. But yeah, I think you hit it spot on, Adam. There were too many chances that they let go begging. They scored 17 minutes into this match, but they probably should have had two or three over the course of play in that first 90. And the fact that they didn't allow Tacha to, to, to come back home to San Cristobal on that second leg and play pretty composed and just see it out for nil-nil. There was not a lot of chances in the second leg. There wasn't a lot of football, but it was enough to get Tachita through. Uh, to be honest, I found the second leg quite boring. Uh, but credit the Venezuelans, Adam. I, th- I think they did just enough to go through, even if they probably weren't the better side over the two legs. I think they were a bit more pragmatic. Yeah, I, I, I certainly preferred watching the Equ- Ecuadorian side. Um, yeah, you, you said their kit was nice, but I did think that it was slightly ruined by kind of the overbearing sponsorship on it. Yeah, you got to make money uh, though, about, man. You got to make money. You're on the yeah, big stage. You're on the big stage. It's, <laughs> it's true of many kits in South America. I remember when my local team here, Arika, got promoted in, in uh, 2012. I was really looking forward to the new kit coming out. And then when it came out, it was just plastered in every local business you could imagine. Um, and, oh, it looked really ugly. Um, but yeah, you know, Makara, you know, for, for those who have never heard of them before, you know, they were saying on the commentary, you know, they're a bit of a yo-yo club in, in, in Ecuador, especially sort of since the turn of the millennium. Um, and, and they, and it was only a couple of years ago since they won, won the second division there in, in Ecuador. And last season they were surprise package along with Delphin who are in the group stage this year of the, of the Libertadores. Um, but yeah, the, another thing I wanted to mention about Makara was that they had a player called Ronald Champagne, um, which is a fantastic name. And, and he impressed me at points in this match as well. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I, I, I think it's a little bit of a shame um, they didn't go through as, as I thought they had a little bit more to offer than, uh, than Tashara. Um, Chacon was probably the standout player for the for the Venezuelan side. Um, he was the only one that kind of looked like he he was going to make something happen. And Simon, this now sets up uh, a Colombian team against this Tachita side, and, and I think we have a pretty good idea how this tie is going to go between Santa Fe and Deportivo Tachita. Seeing what we saw from Tachita in the first round and, and knowing what we know about Santa Fe. How do you see that second round playing out between those two sides? Yeah, I mean, Tachira basically, I mean, Makara in this, in this game, briefly before we come on to the second leg, um, they threw everything at it in the first half and then were pretty tired and Tachira, sh- you know, showed they were quite composed on the ball, quite controlled. But 
again, the second, you know, they were lucky to get their goal in the first leg, pinged off the bar, hit the ground, just crossed the line. In the second leg, they just spent half the second half just shooting from 50 yards. It was pretty awful. But hey, you know, we've got some exciting football to look forward to because Colombia's fine, Independiente, Santa Fe. Um, so Santa Fe, as listeners of the podcast will know, is a particular favourite of us. Um, a team that's organised and strong and quick um, and that's almost it. <laughs> um, they've, you know, they they do surprisingly well. Um, before the podcast, we were looking through their squad, and you know, the midfielders. While I mentioned Junior of San Teofilo Gutierrez, there's Jimmy Chada coming from from Europe, from from Mexico, from big leagues, Peruvian internationals. Santa Fe is just an organised team. Most of their midfielders have come from second division Colombian sides. Uh, they're mostly, you know, mid twenties. They're athletic. They've got a certain type of player they look at. They've signed Ruben Betancor, who is a interesting young talent who's now twenty four, and is less interesting and, and less young. So we'll see how he does. Um, but overall, this Santa Fe team is not going to make anybody excited. The defence is fairly good, um, fairly unchanged. They've lost Omar Perez, who was in late 30s, um, a club legend, really a very skillful, very good technical player, but limited to 15 minutes here and there. And in almost every game last year, the best 15 minutes were the 15 minutes when he was on the pitch. So he's gone, as has the erratic, uh, ill-disciplined, but very talented Johan Aranjo, uh, who was missing the game last year because he was at a party. Um, which again maybe doesn't meet with the organised discipline Santa Fe ethic which we're such fans of so this game is going to be um, not particularly exciting I would expect Santa Fe to get through um, I think Tachira didn't really produce much in terms of attacking play and I think they're up against a much stronger much more organised team in Santa Fe um, so I would expect Santa Fe to get through but you know, in terms of your betting, don't don't bet on you know three plus goals or something. It's it's not going to happen. I wouldn't expect. And don't bet on extensive coverage of that match on the World Football Index either. Um, okay. Of course. Well, have, having said that, it's going to be four three now. We've we've spent this whole time saying you know no these neither of these teams are going to play and we're going to be completely wrong because that's the Libertadores. I, I just want to make sure that I get that on the record and on this podcast so that if it does happen, we could just, you know, cut this segment and, and say that, yeah, yeah, we called it anyway. Yeah, maybe. No, I, maybe. I'm, I'm, I'm it's, confident enough to say it won't happen. <laughs> maybe uh, it's going to be Ruben Bettencourt is going to be the man. He, you know, he's had clubs and scored 16 goals or something in his career. So maybe it's all, it's all fallen into place. This, this Uruguayan talent, the big yeah. signing for San is gonna it's gonna find his form yeah but eight of those goals came in the last two months so he's in form absolutely well if he can do it for Sudamerica in the Uruguayan league then there's no there's no doubt he's gonna run run things in the Copa Libertadores this year he scored a hat-trick away to Liverpool yeah <laughs> not not many players have done that I'm sure um yeah anyway uh moving on um let's let's have a look at the second phase matches that we haven't covered so far <laughs> The first one, the first one up is the fabulously named Cara uh, Bobo of uh, Venezuela. Um, they're taking on Guarani now. Austin, we have seen both of these teams in the in the Libertadores um, in the past year. Uh, they they were both in the competition last year. Um, 
Guarani managed to make it through to the knockout stages, just about. And uh, Carabobo were probably one of the worst teams in it, no? Yeah, I believe Carabobo translates vaguely to silly face. And so uh, our saying for them was silly face, bad football. Uh, and I don't think that there's any reason for that to change here. Guarani are, are, I think, what they always are. Disciplines behind the ball. They'll defend. They'll fight. They'll grit. Um, I think this is what makes this kind of section of the draw so interesting for Junior is they're unquestionably the most talented of these four sides, Junior, Olympia, Guarani, and Carabobo. But Junior having to go through potentially two Potawaiian sides to make the group stage, I think is what's going to make this really interesting because they're going to know the attacking talent on Junior, and so they're going to shut up shop, they're going to sit, they're going to look to hit out, get a goal, and then hang on to it over 180 minutes. And I think that's what's going to make it really interesting in this kind of section for all of these teams is Junior is, is the big dog, and you, and you have to kind of find the way to take him down. I don't expect much from Carabobo. I think Guadani will get through. It might kind of be like that Olympia-Montevideo Wanderers tie, where it's not terribly impressive from Guadani because they're not necessarily used in this competition to having to kind of take the onus upon themselves. Uh, but it's hard to see this Carabobo side doing too much. Yeah, so just to, just to confirm, Car- Carabobo were hammered by uh, Junior in the, in the second phase um, of the competition this time last year. Um, so, yeah, uh, don't expect too much from the Venezuelan side. Um, moving on to maybe one you can talk about, um, Austin, and that's uh, Chapecoense against uh, Nacional. Um, and that's Nacional of uh, Uruguay. Chapecoense obviously have become kind of one of the most famous teams in South America, Um for unfortunate reasons um, in, in, the, in the last couple of years. Um, but, you know, we've mentioned before on these pods, it's an incredible story and an inspiring story that they made it back to the Libertadores for a second year running. Um, and I see that Nacional were well beaten in the Uruguayan Super Cup final, Super Copa final tonight against Peñarol. Um, so I, I I think this is quite a good opportunity for Chapecoense to advance to to the next round, no? Yeah, Adam, Chapecoense were, were one of the stories of last year's tournament. They were one of the stories in all of football last year, uh, to be quite honest. And, you know, they were a procedural decision away from, from getting out of the group last year, which would have been a tremendous achievement. They probably should have gotten out of the group had their board not been so kind of closed-minded and, and deciding to play a player who they were told was suspended, but they believed wasn't suspended. And then they thought they could appeal and it just didn't happen. And they ended up getting knocked out of this competition. Um, They've done, you know, kind of the business that you would expect of them. The thing that Chapecoense have done so well is in rebuilding this side. They haven't kind of gone looking for big names and and splashy signings. They've gone for very uh, composed, you know, strong kind of players who are who will play in themselves and that's what they did in this window there's not really a, a big name that they brought in in this window um they just kind of bettered what they had some players who were on loan last year have, have returned to their clubs but for the most part you know this is a very solid Chapecoense side and it'll be interesting to see how they match up with with a national side that that is going to be solid as well uh, these two teams were actually in the same group together last year in the Libertadores. Uh, Nacional beat Chapecoense 3-0 in Montevideo, and then it was a 1-1 draw in Chapeco. I think Nacional are probably the better side here, um, but counting out Chapecoense is, is certainly 
not something that anybody should be doing at this point. I think this is probably one of the most even ties in this round and certainly one that I'm looking forward to. I don't know that there will be a ton of goals, uh, but I think this one it should be on level sides and I wouldn't be surprised to see this tie go to penalties. Simon, what about for you? What, what do you make of this tie? Do you, do you see it as close as I see it? Yeah, of course. I mean, Chapecoense, again, uh, amazing, amazing <laughs> that two of their most successful years in, in history have come back-to-back -back, uh, in such difficult circumstances and you know, divided by a massive tragedy, you know, two different squads, two different management groups. So they've done very, very well to get this far. And they're up against, again, one of the biggest names in South American football in Nacional. Uh, again, it's going to be a very interesting game. Uh, if Chapecoense play similar to they did last year, it should be... You know, an organized, a tough, robust Chapecoense against uh, some tough uh, Uruguayans. I think it'll be a very interesting game. Should be quite a tight game. Uh, be definitely one that's interesting to watch. Um, the Chapecoense fans will be very passionate. Nacional can get a good crowd. So it should be a very typical Copa Libertadores game in terms of atmosphere. And I expect some robust tackling as well. So one I'm looking forward to. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what comes out. Should be quite tight. I think you're right. Adam, Santiago Wanderers against Melgar. Uh, what do you think for this one? Yeah, so it's an it's a interesting one for me. Um, I need to give some backstory, really, on on how Santiago Wanderers got here. Yeah, so uh, they've had an incredible few months, um, really. But in November, they comfortably won the final of the, of the Copa Chile um, against Against all the odds, really, they faced Universidad de Chile, who were champions of Chile at the time um, and in decent form, had an Inter final, and 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 they beat them three one, and they were three 0 up for for a, for a decent period of the match. So it was only late on that Lou managed to to grab one back, and yeah, it was a really impressive performance in the final, and 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 it felt like you know they could use that you know, to kick on in the league, but they ended up drawing too many matches and finding themselves um, bottom of the coefficient table, which kind of averages out their performances uh, uh, over the last uh, year or so. Um, and uh, and they found themselves in a playoff against the Primera B champions, um, uh, Union La Calera, and they won the first leg of that 1-0. So again, it looked like, you know, they're safe. And in the, with the final kick of the, of the second leg, um, their goalkeeper, highly rated goalkeeper, Gabriel Castellon, got in a mix-up with, uh, with a couple of his defenders. And, um, and Rafael Viotto, who now plays for Santiago Wanderers, confusingly, he, he'd be one of the players to look out for uh, this week. He, he, he touched home and, uh, and uh, Le Calera went on to win the shootout and relegate uh, Wanderers um, and yeah they've managed to keep a number of key players Santiago Wanderers so it's not like they've been relegated and you know, kind of everybody's left them you know, quite the opposite in fact you know they've got a very strong squad uh, for Primera B so they'd be hot favourites to go straight back up but however the Copa Libertadores obviously presents a, a lot more difficult task than the second tier in, in Chile so um yeah, it's probably one of the reasons why the players have 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 decided to stay because they fancy maybe they, they they can play some proper libertarian football and get themselves in the shop window and, and maybe get a big move. 
Um, they've got a favourable draw, in my opinion. Um, Melgar have been pretty poor in the last couple of years of the competition. Um, I've seen quite a bit of them. Um, so, in my opinion, in this tie at least, I don't think Wanderers have anything to fear, really. Um, I do think that um, one point to add here, actually, is, is Wanderers, we're recording this pod on on, on the Friday on the Friday night, uh, Friday the 26th. And um, and they, a few hours ago, they lost the Super Copper, uh, Chile Super Copper final against Colo Colo 3-0. Basically, yeah, it was quite a tight opening 25 minutes and then suddenly Colo Colo scored three goals in the space of 15 minutes and completely blew them away and easily saw out the, the second half. After that heavy defeat um, tonight, that they're probably heading to the first leg, um, not in the not in the best of spirits, really. Uh, that's not the way you want to start a season by losing three 0 in in a, in a match, you know, for for a trophy. So, yeah, I think uh, I, th- I think they will be still a little bit shell shocked from last year as well. The fact that they 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 did go down. So I, I am interested in seeing their reaction over the next week or so. Um, another point to make: I, I will actually see Santiago Wanderers close up um, in between uh, the two legs of, of this uh, Copa Libertadores tie as their opening match in Primera B is against my local team here in Chile in uh, San Marcos de Arica. So. Uh, I'm looking forward to that next Saturday. Um, so, yeah, it, it will give me a chance to analyze them firsthand. And quickly, Adam, Melgard, you mentioned it. They've been really poor in this competition. And I think you're spot on in saying that this is a, a pretty kind draw to Santiago Wanderers here in, in the second playoff round, the first round that they'll play. You probably couldn't have asked for a better team, maybe Carabobo for Santiago Wanderers. Uh, and one final thing, it's not unheard of for for teams to play the Libertadores from the second division I believe the last South American team to do it was actually my beloved Palmeiras who in 2013 played the Copa Libertadores from Brazilian sec- the Brazilian second division after having won the Brazilian Cup in 2012 so not out of the realm of possibility and here we are with Primera B-side Santiago Wanderers in the Copa Libertadores while also in their national second division yeah, definitely. So uh, I, I believe that Wanderers are the sixth side to play the Libertadores from the second tier. Um, yeah, like like you say, uh, um, Balmeres uh, in 2013 were the last. Uh, Wilsterman in 2011 also played, and um, going back a few more years, there was a there was a couple of uh, two or three more Brazilian clubs, I think, from from memory, who were uh, you know fairly small sort of you know state league champions. I must, I guess, they must have been to to qualify for it. Um, you probably know more than me on that, Austin. Um, but yeah, I, I think uh, I, I think that sort of the fact that he's a Primera B side in in the competition kind of adds a kind of. Uh, an interesting narrative to, to the competition, though. Let's move on to the next match, and that is uh, Banfield of Argentina um, against Independiente de Rey of Ecuador. Uh, Independiente de Rey, of course, a favourite here at the World Football Index for their exploits in the in the first year that we did these Libertadores uh, podcasts. Um, I think their squad has changed quite a bit since then. 
so we can't expect them to to reach the final again. Uh, I think that was a bit of a one-off. Um, and it looks like they've got a fairly tough task here against um, a, a fairly decent-looking Argentinian team. No, Austin? Yeah, this, this looks to be a very solid Bonfield team. They started... Uh, their campaign in the Argentine Domestic League with a 2-1 win away to Tigre tonight, and they got a last-minute penalty to win that 2-1. They're the lone Argentine side here in the playoff round. Not necessarily a traditional Argentine club, uh, but certainly one that that has some pretty intriguing players. A couple of uh, Brazilian league cast-offs. Jesus Datlo, who was forever injured for Atletico Mineiro, is there. Uh, Pablo Moshi, who had a, a hot second at Palmeiras under Ricardo Gareca, is there. Uh, kind of a cobbled-together Argentine side, but I think a very good one. And Simon, they'll come up against an Independiente del Valle side that is, is known for their ability to develop youth talent. Uh, it's it's a decent Del Valle side, but certainly not one that is as talented as they were when they made the, the final in 2016. How do you see this one going? It's the Argentines for me, I should say. <laughs> yeah, it'll be an interesting one. Um, we don't really know what to expect from Independiente Del Valle. Obviously, there's some familiar faces in the squad. But as they've shown over the last couple of years, they've stayed competitive by bringing through some youth players. And, and I hope we get to see one or two new players off their very successful youth academy. Again, it's a relatively small club, small stadium, uh, but they produce excellent young players and, and are able to compete. Uh, so there's a lot, of, a lot of interest in this game in that regard. See if they have anyone else coming through. Traditionally, we've seen, again, uh, with so many of the Ecuadorian sides, lots of pacey wingers, and this is something Del Valle utilises as well. Some good athleticism. Banfield, again, it's a team that's recently, fairly recently promoted from the second division. I think 2013, they came back up. So it's a team that's been, you know, not one of the major big teams in Argentina, but obviously it's got a lot of history. Interesting to see what they do. I don't know that much about Banfield. Um, nice to see them back in the competition. Interesting to see what happens. Um, from what I've heard, again, an organized team against some of the pace and, and directness and some of the young players coming through Independiente Del Valle. Should be an interesting one. Um, yeah, I think in terms of the result, you could perhaps see Banfield holding out, uh, getting a good support at home and, and seeing out the tie. Um, but it will be an interesting one to see. And, and maybe we'll see a few new faces from uh, the excellent academy there in Ecuador for Independiente Del Valle. Uh, we'll, we'll remember for the tournament. Adam, any thoughts on this one? Yeah, I, I, I think um, I think I'll probably agree with you guys that, um, that the Argentinians will probably just just make it through in in this tie. Um, but we have written off Independiente de Valle before and, uh, and and they've proved us wrong many a time. So so who knows? If nothing else, we finally learned how to pronounce their name pretty consistently, which I, I think we should be proud of. It's taken us three years, but as a podcast, our, our Independiente del Valle has, has really improved over the years. Definitely, definitely. So going to the last game, we have, uh, we have a, a Chilean team and a Brazilian team. So let's go first. Adam, what do you think uh, for this tie? Uh, are you going to be celebrating or will Austin be having another Brazilian representative going into the final stages? <laughs> I have to say that... Um... Universidad de Concepcion qualifying for the Libertadores um, took me some, took me by surprise a little bit. Um, they found themselves um, in a playoff against um, Unión Española, courtesy of finishing third place in um, uh, Clausura Championship. So that was the that was the one at the 
first half of last year behind Colo Colo and Una Universidad de Chile. Um, but because Colo Colo won the, the transition tournament, which was the tournament played in the second half of last year, it meant that Universidad de Concepcion played the, um, the jewel of the runners-up. Um, and they and they played Union Española, who had finished second in the in the transition tournament, and they surprised a lot of people by 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 winning by winning that tie o- over the two legs. And, that, and something else to add here, I think their I think their coach, their head coach uh, Francisco Bozan. Um, I'm just checking his age now. Yeah, he's he's 31 years old. So I'll be surprised if there's a younger. Um, head coach in in the in the Libertadores this year. He he is thirty. He is thirty one. Like I say, but he already has um, quite a few years of experience. Um, he he started out as a as a manager in two thousand and ten. Um, so in his you know early twenties really. Um, um, so a, a couple of ups and downs in his career, but he's been doing a good job um, over the last few months or so. Um, at Universidad de Concepcion, and um, and yeah, and here they are in in the in the in the Libertadores. They are arguably the third biggest club historically from Concepcion, which is probably the second biggest city here in Chile. They were only formed, I think, a couple of decades ago, um, and it was the it, it was actually the first club of uh, Jorge uh, Valdivia. Um, before he he moved on to Colo Colo and then to to, to clubs further afield. Um, yeah, I, I, looking at their current squad and their signings, they've, they've made some decent signings on paper. You know, players with experience in this competition. Luis Pedro Figueroa, for example, has has played in this competition for O'Higgins and Colo Colo, I believe. They've also signed Pedro Morales, um, who was a free agent after being released by uh, Colo Colo. Um, he he has a bit of uh, Libertadores experience as well with Universidad de Chile and Colo Colo. Um, yeah, he was a big hit up there in MOS for Vancouver Whitecaps, and he came back to Colo Colo with like his reputation enhanced, and didn't really seem to work out for him there. He was hit by numerous injuries, and um, so yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting to see his form. The other, the other notable sign in that universe that the Concepcion have made is um, Santiago Silva, not the bald-headed Uruguayan who played for. Universidad Católica in this competition last year. This is a different Uruguayan um, by the same name. Um, and he was at America de Cali, I think you said before the pod to me, um, Simon, and you and you didn't think much of him. Um, so that doesn't bode too well for them. But yeah, the, the other player with, with a bit of uh, Libertadores experience in their, in their new sign-ins is... Um, Hans Martinez, um, a, def- uh, a defender. So, yeah, but they've got a few options there. Um, I think it's I think it's not the worst squad. There's there's uh, there's some interesting players to look out for. Alejandro Camargo, the the captain in midfield. Uh, he, he's a he's a decent player and he has a hell of a shot on him. Um, so he's possibly one to 
watch out for. And Jonathan Benitez, some might remember him. He he was part of Cobra Sal's uh, championship winning team um, a couple of years ago. And Cobra Sal, another team now who languish in Primera B. But Benitez was looking their best player in their opening match um, against Corinthians. And I think he ended up breaking his arm in that match, went missing. And it was a huge blow to Cobrasau's uh, chances that year in, in, in the, in the Libertadores of getting out that group. Um, so, yeah, Jonathan Benitez, the forward, he, he, he can be quite dangerous on his day. Yeah, so they've got a, they've got a nice mix there of kind of experience and um and, and a couple of decent youth talents coming through as well and like i say uh, possibly the most interesting thing to look out for is is the fact that they've got a 31 year old manager and adam they'll come up against vasco da gama of brazil and vasco's a club that has yo-yoed back and forth uh from the second and the first division in brazil recently um they snuck into the Libertadores, uh, seventh place finisher in Brazil. Uh, they actually had a shot to qualify straight to the group stage had Flamengo won the Copa Sudamericana against Independiente of Argentina. That didn't happen, so that's what finds them here in the playoff stage. And this is a really interesting Vasco team because they're kind of in turmoil right now. Uh, there's some controversy around an election at the club. Um, uh, their old current president or former president and the current president, and it's a complicated situation that I won't pretend to know all about. Uh, they haven't started particularly well in, in the, the state league, not that that's terribly important. But they've also seen some, some crucial departures in this last window. Uh, the 36-year-old Nene, who had been their, their best kind of playmaking number 10 traditional midfielder, is uh, reportedly on the way out to Sao Paulo. Uh, he played probably his last match for Vasco in the state league just the other day. But it looks like that deal to Sao Paulo is, is going to come to fruition before he gets a chance to play in the Libertadores for Vasco. As well, another player who actually left Vasco for Sao Paulo, Anderson Marchins, a, a, a defender for them, is gone. And Mateus Vital, a really young, kind of talented wing player for Vasco, who was, who was on the up, has traded Vasco for Corinthians in Brazil. So that's a couple of crucial losses for them. And they haven't replaced those players terribly well. Uh, the players to watch, I think, here for Vasco... You've got Martin Silva, uh, an Uruguayan goalkeeper who has been in the Uruguay squad without really starting for them. I think he's expected to be in that Uruguay squad for the World Cup. He will man the, man the sticks and, and be there for this Vasco team. He's a good veteran goalkeeper for them to have. But outside of that, uh, it's kind of bits and pieces here and there, but nothing overly impressive. Uh, I will mention the 17-year-old Paulinho, one of the up-and-coming young talents in Brazil, debuted at the professional level for Vasco last year, scored a couple of goals, including a brace in a 2-1 win against Atletico Mineiro last year. He's a name that if Vasco do make a run in this competition, is certainly somebody that could kind of stick as, as one of the young talents. Um, Damian Escudero, a kind of veteran Argentine playmaker, could be called upon. Andres Rios, a 28-year-old Argentine striker, is probably going to be their starter against Concepcion here in this playoff. They just re-signed Duvir Giascos, uh, the Colombian who has been in and out of Brazil in questionable circumstances at points. It's a really interesting Vasco side with not a whole lot to inspire confidence in you. And one of the better names in the tournament in, in Iago Pikachu, their fullback, who is someone to keep an eye on in this one. And finally, I will mention that this section of the draw is fairly kind to Vasco. 
they play Concepcion here, uh, and then Jorge Wilsterman and then Oriente Petrolero will be the, the sides on the other side of it. So kind of a wide open section for Vasco to have, have been put into it, and that could be to their favor. Because as I said, it, it's not a terribly talented side, and, and I don't think that they should be overwhelming favorites in this tie, based on, especially based on what you've said, Adam. Would you would you say they're the weakest Brazilian side to qualify for the Libertadores Stories this year? I think they are level with Chapecoense as far as, as talent-wise. I think Chapecoense probably have a better quote-unquote team spirit about them. But as far as pure talent is concerned, I don't think they're demonstrably worse than that Chapecoense side. But these two Brazilian sides here in the playoff and then Santos, who qualified straight to the group. I, I have a lot of questions about Santos, as we'll get into as, as these pods kind of spin on. I think those are probably the three Brazilian sides that are certainly the weakest. But there's a big gap in, in, in talent and inability between those kind of top-tier Brazilian sides and these two Brazilian sides that, that we see here in the playoff round. And because, and because sure. Sorry, one more thing to tack on there. And because of that, I wouldn't be surprised if either of these Brazilian sides fail to qualify for the group stage, or even if both of them. Last year, we saw both of the Brazilian sides in the playoff make the group stage. I don't think that's going to happen again. It would not surprise me to see one of Vasco or Chapet, or even both of them, not make the groups, which I know is something that you'd probably enjoy, Adam, because the less Brazilian sides in the group stage, the better, right? Yeah, of, of course, of course. Okay, so I think that, that's us done for for this week on the South American Football Show on the World Football Index. Uh, before we do leave, um, I should just ask Austin and Simon if they have anything to plug. So, um, Austin. I do. Uh, there should be a couple more scouting spotlight pods out here soon. Uh, Tom and I profiled a couple of uh, Brazilian players, one for Sao Paulo and one for Palmeiras. So those should be out. I would encourage everybody as, as this transfer window kind of wraps up to keep an eye on those spotlight pods. Uh, keep an eye on, on my Twitter feed at Austin underscore James 906. And of course, the World Football Index Twitter feed. If there's any kind of late breaking news with some of these players we've, quali- uh, we've profiled, we'll definitely plug that for you. Um, those have been a great resource, I think, to have. Uh, they're timeless. Uh, I'd encourage you to, to keep looking through that archive, especially if you're new to what we do here at WFI. Uh, there's a really good archive of, of a lot of really talented South American players and some not-so-talented South American players that maybe haven't panned out that we've profiled on those podcasts. So I, I would definitely encourage you to check those out and keep an eye on Gustavo Scarpa and Eder Militão. Those are the two players who should be out here in the next week or so on the World Football Index Scouting Spotlight. How about for you, Simon? Anything you want to plug? Uh, yeah, I mean... The cl- Oops. <laughs> Just broke a glass. <laughs> Should have said anything you want to break, I guess. <laughs> uh, right, I'll go again. Unless you want to put that in. Um, yeah, the Colombians. <laughs> okay. Um, the Colombian season is going to start next weekend, so I'm going to do some profiles of some of the clubs, discuss some of the business they've been doing on my Twitter as well at Simon Edwards SAF. I've started to profile some Colombian players. Trying to get trying to get a bit of interest up on those. Um, that's been quite popular so far. So if there's, yeah. So each day I'm going to put up a little quick brief profile on some interesting Colombian talents as well. So between the excellent scouting spotlight podcast and and my Twitter feed, uh, we've got we've got South America covered in terms of youth players. Um, so yeah, any any questions on any of those, give me a give me a shout on Twitter. And Adam, uh, what about you? Anything anything uh, of interest on Twitter aside from your? Video which has got 1.2 million views. 
Yeah, to follow um, the most uh, popular Twitter feed um, from this uh, podcast, you can uh, you can follow me at Adam Brandon eighty four, and and you'll find regular updates on South American football and uh, and probably some ranting and raving about Norwich City as well in England. If that, if that's your thing, somehow. Adam, I noticed um, you uh, you kind of outsourced your work tonight. I saw a lot of retweets of, of my tweets. Now that you've gotten, you know, one million people to see a video, it's just the, the nitty-gritty of it. You don't need to bother yourself with that anymore. Is that what it is? Exactly. I, I, I want to share some of some of the uh, love that I get from my Twitter followers with you guys. Thanks. Thanks. Um, much much so. appreciated. <laughs> share the wealth. Um, okay, uh, I, th- I think that finishes us up for, for tonight. Um, it's just left for me to say a huge thank you to our to our listeners for for choosing this podcast once again. Um, if you have enjoyed this podcast, then rate and review us on iTunes. And it's thanks again to the guys, Simon Austin, for joining me tonight to discuss all the exciting Nibbidstores actions. And we'll see you again soon. Goodbye.